If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. Romans 1, 14. Here to let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you. We praise you. Help us to focus, to learn, to be changed and transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're getting back, really, to where we was when we are talking about trying to explain salvation. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what happens when we die and, and the state that we end up in once we leave this earth and enter into eternity. And a part of us talking about what happens when we die, we talked about the judgment and the judgment to come, that one day God is going to judge the world. And in that talking about the judgment, we reach the conclusion that every single person that lives on this planet, every human being will be judged by God. Whether you claim to be saved or not, everybody is going to be judged. And when we're going to be judged, we're going to be judged based on our works, what it is that we do in our body. That nobody is exempt from this judgment, but we have hope for the Christian. The Bible talks about us not receiving condemnation. The Bible talks about us being able to escape in the last day. So if everybody's going to be judged and we judge by our works, how is it that Christians can have confidence when they stand at the day of judgment? And so we're going to look at this from a couple of different angles. And take a couple fancy fur words and try to explain them. One of the words being justification. And we're trying to explain what this means when it comes to justification. And how it helps us to understand how it is that we go through judgment victoriously. Not escape it. Everybody going to be judged. We, we clear on that. I don't care how many times you got dipped in that pool, signed that card, repeated after that preacher. You're still going to stand before God for judgment. But if you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, you would go through judgment victoriously. And so to open it up a little bit, we're going to skip, but then we're going to just zone in on chapter 3 of Romans. But I just wanted to go here to get the context of what it's talking about in this whole letter. In verse 15, well, 14, so I'm a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So this is Paul's thesis statement of the whole letter. And so he, he's painting this picture. So he's a debtor. He, he, he's bound he says to the Jews and to the Greeks or the barbarians, to, to the non-Jews. This is who he's bound to, to the wise and the unwise. And his passion is he wants to preach the gospel. This is what he's trying to do, to preach the gospel to both the Jews and the Greeks because he's bound to them. And he explained why he wants to preach the gospel in verse 16. He said because... I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God. It's the, it's, 
It's the ability of God, the strength of God that saves and that delivers. That's what the gospel is, the good news. It brings salvation. So that's why he's not ashamed of it. And his power works to everybody that believes. That's, that makes sense. That seems simple. Believers receive the power of God. They receive salvation. And the gospel is the thing that brings salvation. Come ask you a trick question. Make sure we understand. So if we need to be delivered from something, what do we need? Huh? Yeah, we need deliverance. How does the deliverer work? If we need to be delivered from something, what do we need? Huh? We need to walk with God. How do we get that walk with God? By knowing God. And how do we get this knowledge of God? Huh? By hearing the word. That's a piece of it. And the simple answer is the gospel. Because the gospel is the thing that brings salvation. If I have the gospel, I have deliverance. All I have to do is believe. So long as I'm believing the gospel, it is the power of God to salvation. And God's power is not limited. God's power is not shortened. I just need to believe this gospel. And it brings deliverance. It brings salvation. It gives me everything that I need. My faith in this gospel. Then he's going to make a strange statement. Said for therein, talking about this gospel, for in this gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So inside this gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. Trick question, make sure we track it, because all this is going to be relevant. How righteous is God? Do you think he's completely righteous? So God is like the definition of righteousness. There is no righteousness apart from God. And inside the gospel, the righteousness of God is shown, is revealed. So the full righteousness that God has is shown, is revealed in the gospel. And that same gospel is the power of salvation. And it's the power of salvation because therein is the righteousness of God revealed. So let's make we try to tie all this together. So when we talked about judgment, we were saying that when we stand before God, we're going to be judged by our works, the things that we do in our body. And he's going to reward us according to our deeds. Let's take a theoretical example. Let's just say Veronica. Veronica shows up before God as plain old Veronica. Do you think she has enough righteousness as plain old Veronica to pass the test and stand before God and declare herself to be a righteous person? Just by a show of hand. How many think she can pull it off just as plain old Veronica? Nobody. They got no faith in you, Veronica. <laughs> and the chances are you're right because God's standard is high. Like, this is the same dude who kicked Lucifer out of heaven for thinking bad thoughts. That seemed to be pretty tough. Same dude who kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden for making one bad decision. Like that's, 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 that seemed to be a bit mean. 
So if we can judge them for having a bad thought, making one bad decision, Veronica ain't got no shot. Because I guarantee you, Veronica had way more bad thoughts than Lucifer did in that one moment. I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure I bet my whole soul on it that she made way more bad decisions than one. That's just a guess that she made more than one bad decision. So if they get exempt from one bad thought and one bad decision, we're pretty much hopeless. But we have to stand before this God and we're going to be judged based off our works. All the scripture has to be true. And that's where the power of the gospel comes in at because inside this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, is shown, is manifested. So how righteous you say God was? All the way righteous. Now, do you think God is so righteous that he can be both positionally righteous and actively righteous at the same time? What do you mean by that? When I'm talking about positionally righteous, it's the idea that when we look at him, we can say, hey, God is righteous. Apart from him doing anything, just because we like him. You think we can do that? Look at God like, hey, that's a righteous dude. He should be righteous enough for us to pull that off. Like, like God, you're righteous. You're a righteous brother, you know what I'm saying? And actively righteous, I mean that he can do righteous stuff all the time and you ain't got to worry about him doing that wrong. You think he can do both of them? Be positionally righteous and actively righteous. We we believe that. What you think? That's part of your definition of completely righteous. So all that kind of righteousness, positionally righteous, actively righteous, is shown in the gospel. So once we get gospel, we get full righteousness. It's revealed. Where it is revealed to? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, Paul made a big statement. Because what has he been talking about being revealed in the gospel? Righteousness revealed in the gospel. But then he switched terms. Because he said, in this is the righteousness revealed. Because, and he quote Habakkuk chapter 2, the just shall live by faith. What do we mean the just? I thought we were talking about righteous people. Because righteousness comes from the gospel. But now he put up these people who he referring to as just. So righteousness comes from faith to faith because the just shall live by faith. And this is a clue to our understanding. What we're going to zone in from now that's going to help us to understand everything from here on out. Biblically, Righteousness, just, justification, justified, and all those terms are various terms for the same thing. So when you're reading in your Old Testament, when it said that's all God wants you to do is to do justice, what he's saying is all God wants you to do is to do righteousness. Like when you... Y'all, some of y'all are real pro-black and, and get deep and political. So for my pro-black people, when you're talking about social justice, to truly understand the word, what you're saying is a righteous side society. We're talking about social righteousness because justice, 
Righteousness are two terms for the same thing. They all come from the same root word in both Old and New Testament. That's why the, the little um, passage, I can't think of where it is now, Proverbs, that Don McClurkin tricked the world with, that uh, a just man falleth seven times, but he get back up. It's talking about a righteous man. Because justice and righteousness is the same thing. So what Paul is saying is that the faith that you put in the gospel allows you to live righteous. Because the righteous shall live by faith. So if you want to live a righteous life, what do you need? Faith. And as long as you got faith, that righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. So you put your faith in the gospel, God's righteousness shows up and you grow from faith to faith in righteousness because the righteous shall live by faith. Are we understanding that? And this is Paul's thesis statement to the whole letter. Go to chapter 2. We're going to play with it. We're just trying to understand this word justification or being just. Go to Romans chapter 2. We're going to jump down for time. Go, we'll start at verse 26. Romans 2, 26. It said, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his circumcision be counted for circumcision? Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision those transgress the law. Now y'all reading like, what is Paul talking about? Now that don't make no sense. So he's talking about these two groups of people. See these two categories showing up. Circumcision and uncircumcision. And when we opened up in Romans chapter 1, what two groups of people he was talking about? Jews and Greeks, or Jews and barbarians. This is the same thought he's carrying it through. So now he's using the word circumcision and uncircumcision. And what he means by that is the thing that identified you as being a Jew or that put you in the part of the covenant through Abraham's lineage was they had the right of circumcision. So all the males circumcised and that was a sign of you being a part of the covenant. In the Greek world, that just wasn't something they really did. You might have had a couple that got circumcised, but it just not was their thing. So what he means by circumcision and uncircumcision is Jews and Greeks. Are Jews and non-Jews. And so this question that he's stating said, if circumcision really profit if you keep the law. So what he's saying is you being Jewish, the only thing that that benefits you is if you follow the law. There's no special God blessing you get just because you become a part of the covenant of God through circumcision. But if thou be a breaker of the law, Thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So if you disobey the law, it's just like you wasn't circumcised. So being circumcised and breaking the law is the same as being a Greek. That's what he's saying. So you separated from the household of faith. You separated from Abraham's people. If you're circumcised and you do not follow the law. That's all that's going to make sense in a minute. Therefore, 26, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, Shall not his circumcision be counted, his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? Basically, if the Greeks 
those who are not a part of the faith of Abraham, if they do what God told them to do, if they obey the law, their obedience is going to be counted just like they were circumcised, like they were part of the family. Your disobedience going to get you discounted. Their obedience get them counted in. And he's talking about those who keep the righteousness of the what? Of the law. So circumcision by itself don't mean anything. Uncircumcision by itself don't mean anything. But the thing that's going to get you accepted by God, he's saying, is obedience to the law. That counts. That's credit. And he's saying this following after we talked about a couple of weeks ago, everybody's standing before judgment. And it's going to get a little more confused and we're going to clear it up. 27. And shall not the uncircumcision which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee who by letter and circumcision those transgress the law. So the uncircumcision which is by nature, that basically this is their heritage. They're not circumcised. So if they're obeying, they bring judgment on you. I'll give you a contemporary example a little bit. So let's just say we got Aaron. And in this theoretical world, Aaron grew up in the church. And he was baptized as a young man. Granny prayed over him, did all that good stuff. He repeated after the preacher. And he say he a Christian, he a believer. So he got baptism. He got a confession of faith. All the signs and the marks that he a real believer. But Aaron be thugging and fornicating like a mug. That ain't right. But he, he got his confession of faith. You know what I'm saying? He been baptized. He take communion. He do everything that the church people do. When you see him in the car, he got a Bible in the back window. He got all the signs of being a Christian. <laughs> all the signs. But when you watch him, like I said, he be thugging and he be fornicating. And he meets this guy riding on a bicycle. White shirt on and some black pants with a little name tag. Elder Thomas. <laughs> And Elder Thomas rolled up on Aaron while he got that thug and began to preach to him about Jesus. And Aaron like, hold up, man. I've been baptized. I take communion. My mama and them, my grand and them, they pray for me. I already got my Bible right there in the back. I know about Jesus. See, but you got that other book. You ain't carrying no Bible. You can't tell me about Jesus. And then his brothers get bold, which they normally don't do. But Elder Thomas going to get bold on air and say, I know that. See, but you out here drinking and getting drunk. I don't do that. You got this little girl. Is that your wife? Nah. I'm single and I stay and I maintain myself. But you out here doing all this. Is your belief any better than mine? Because what I believe caused me to live a better life than what it is that you believe. And Aaron will have to say to Elder Thomas, 
You got me, bro. Because I know I shouldn't be doing this. But in theoretical, real world, be like, man, would you judge me? But, <laughs> but that's what Paul is saying. Is that you got this group of people who were circumcised. They know the law. They were raised in it and brought up in it. But they living like fools. And there's some folks who don't know God in the sense that they do. But they living a pretty decent life. They're obeying the stuff that they know. He's saying that they bring judgment to the circumcision by their obedience of the law. You bring them under condemnation because your circumcision by itself does not mean anything. And to translate it, your confession of faith by itself does not mean anything. So to have marks that identify you with a group of people apart from a reality is meaningless. That's what Paul is digging at. Yes, it's cool. You are the people of Abraham. So what? And that's what you can say when you in the streets and you get harassed by them dudes wearing them little funny hats. And they want to come to tell you, listen to me, black man. They lied to you about your history. You a real Israelite. Them fakers over there. And you can respond, so what? <laughs> what difference does it make? If I'm a real Israelite and I'm descended from Abraham, but I'm living just like I do not know the God of Abraham, it does not mean anything. And if that white man, quote unquote, who tricked me and deluded me and and, and brought me into this foreign land, if his grandchildren living a better life than me, I think it's more benefit than being that deluded white devil than it is to be in this conscious, woke, black heathen. Because your identity, your heritage, your lineage does not mean anything. It don't matter where you come from. Because being of this party, away from this party, does not benefit you anything. Are you you tracking with me? In 28, Paul makes a grand statement coming off that. Said, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not of the leather, whose praise is not of men, but of God. He's saying this is the real Jew. The one who inside their heart has been circumcised. So something took place inside of you. That's the real Jew. He's saying, I don't matter, it don't care, I don't care where you come from. So you can run your lineage all the way back. You can pay uh um what the thing is? Ancestry.com. You can pay that fee as long as you want to. You can 23 and me, you can send your, your blood and your chromosomes back far as you want to go. It does not mean anything unless something has taken place in your heart that identifies you as being a part of the people of God. That's what he's saying. It's only, being a Jew, who cares? A real Jew is a person whose heart has been circumcised. And that's the real people of God. And he said, these people, when it ain't coming to the out, what, what you can identify yourself, the signs of your covenant, but it's what goes on in the end. And it don't matter what men praise you for, but it will happen whether what God praises you for. And this is the true Jew. And he follows this up in chapter 3. 
It said, for what advantage then hath the Jew or what property is there of circumcision? Like, hold up, Paul. Because you're talking to Jewish people. Like, man, hold on. Like, I thought we were special. We're the people of God. Like, so what's the benefit of being the people of God if what you're saying is true? And Paul makes a strange statement in verse 2. said, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. So this is their benefit, much in every way. So they battle in every kind of way. Why? Because unto them were committed the oracles of God, the divine sayings of God. So the speech of God was given unto them. God revealed some things to them that he did not reveal to the rest of the world. And that's the benefit of them. Verse 3. Said, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So basically, because we got some Jews who do not follow after the way of God, does that diminish the oracles of the sayings and the things that God is doing? He said, nah. Their disbelief does not speak on the faithfulness of God. But God committed these sins unto them for this purpose, that everybody can be revealed a liar. So God stands just and he reveals some things to bring judgment and condemnation on everybody. So the fact that the Jewish people does not believe in the Jewish Messiah, that don't have anything to do with it. The fact that they don't live up to the thing to being preached, that has nothing to do with it. Because God going to stand true and every man going to be a lie. Verse 4, 5. Said, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who take advantage? I speak as a man. So now I start to get a little confused. He asked this question. Because if you follow Paul's thought, and how many of you have ever thought this before? The idea he aiming at is that it's possible for me to be a Christian Long as I got the, the right things in order, I made the right confession, I repeated after the preacher the exact way he said, and I was sincere in my heart. I got dunked in the pool under the right name, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Jesus, whatever one your church did. That that means I'm going to heaven. And what happens in my life after that moment is like plus and benefit. Anybody ever thought that before? I thought that before too. It's like, I got, I got this Jesus thing straight. I got my heaven thing all going the right way. And all the other stuff becomes extra. I'm saying the, the level and how deep I get into it, I'm saying those different levels, I get that. But I, I got this part straight. I'm saying I, I get to work on that part later. And that type of thought produced the questions. Because I hear when, when we're out in the street sometimes. It's like, y'all Christians get to think that it's, it don't matter how you live. This is a big Jewish argument against Christianity. They say, I heard it encapsulated by one rabbi, that y'all are people of creed, but we people of deed. What do you mean by that? Y'all go around saying a whole bunch of stuff and making confessions. But we live a life. That's the idea people get from Christianity. That I can be a death row murderer long as I get the right thing right at the right time in the right way. None of that stuff matters. 
And you even got folks thinking that they can just like hold out on God. Like they can time it. <laughs> like bidding on eBay or something. <laughs> she would just go, I'm going to do my thing. I'm saying while I'm young, I get thing. Then once I get old and start getting sick, I'm going to say it right then. Like, <laughs> Jesus, I believe in Jesus. Forgive my sin. <laughs> and people think that. They don't say it quite like that, but that's the mindset people have. Like, I could be out partying. It's like, what if you don't make it home? See, if somebody wrecked me and the car get to flipping, like when I feel the roof hit, <laughs> I'd be like, gee, forgive me of my sin. Now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> and everything going to be cool. Like the, God going to give me just enough time when the, when the Amalad man up pumping. I'm going to have a breath. Now forgive me, Jesus. And I'm gonna, then I'm going to go out. <laughs> And then I'm going to make it. Because we're sin abound, grace do much more abound. So we get, God is get more joy and God gets more benefit from the more sinful we are. I think Jay sent me this thing. I remember listening to this, it was a radio show, wasn't it? What is, lady called in. A lady called into the radio show. No, <laughs> I would talk about Jay if he sent me strawberry love. <laughs> but lady called into the radio show, and basically her husband had been cheating, doing his thing, just then just destroyed the vows, messed them all up. No good joke. And so she called in to get a little help from the radio host, the good Bible people, and what she was question was basically that I'm trying to teach my daughter how we need to pray for her daddy and pray for his salvation. Good, strong Christian woman. Because most of y'all Christian women wouldn't been thinking about that. <laughs> he cheating on me. He just left and doing his own little thing. Left me with this little girl by myself while he out there doing his thing. But this lady heart was I want to train my daughter how to pray for her father, and we, we want to meet together and we want to pray for him and pray that he gets saved. And she's asking the man for some help and some guidance on, on how to do that and deal with this situation and bringing up her daughter not to hate her father, but to pray for him so that he can get saved. And the man had to correct her that he's already saved. What we need to pray for is the restoration and some some to that degree. But he made an emphasis to correct this lady that your husband is already saved. He is a Christian. You even asked her, like, did he ever confess Jesus? Like, yes, we went to church and all that here. I think he was a deacon or something. I can't remember. But the dude had to correct her. And I'm scratching my head like, hold up. How can a man be saved and destroy his family like that and continue in a path that destroys his family and got a wife with a heart that want to forgive, that want to pray, that want to see him restored, but he don't care nothing about that. But this guy's idea was that this man is saved. And it's because he has the idea that the work that God does is just put us in the kingdom 
based on our confession and our response. So if we, we say the right things and we get it the right way, you're going to heaven. And that's why Paul brings these questions up because he's talking about this faith stuff, just faith, just believe, just believe. And he knows that automatically what comes into the mind of a people who was trained in law is that, hold up. If the fact that we sinners and God get glory out of that, why God going to punish us? Like, ain't we cool? So God get glory and he get to be shown to be real and just because he told us that we're liars and that we're wicked and we all this stuff and we reveal that we are that and we show God to be true. Like, hey, I did God a favor. That's the thought that he's wrestling with. Like, God get glory for my wickedness, so why don't I just be wicked? Seems like a legitimate question. Like, why, why, what's the point? Like, why even try? That's the question that he had. And he put that little uh, caveat in there. Verse 5 said, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who take vengeance? I speak as a man. Like, this, this is how regular folk talk. Because God get glory for me being unrighteous, so he punished me for being unrighteous. Like, hold up, that ain't right. Verse 6, God forbid, for that how then, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God had more bounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. So this is the, the, the thought that he's dealing with. Like, this is what people think we're saying. Because we say that you're saved by faith apart from anything that you do. All you got to do is believe. The only thing that can get you into heaven is believing. So people take that to the point where God is justified in his glory through our unrighteousness. God can't punish us. Like, it is what it is, bro. And what Paul is saying, God forbid, that's not the case. That's not what we're saying at all. And so he's going to unpack this going in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No and no wise. For we have been proved, we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin as it is written. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. For there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues they have used deceit, the poison of asses under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law said, it said to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no, no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's a long run. So he's summing up what he's saying now. So what did we talked about the advantage of the Jew over the Greek. Paul said they're better in every way because God has revealed his oracles to them. They got the words of God. But then he goes to the thing, they got the words of God, but they reject these words. And by their rejection, they, manifest, they show that God is just because God declared it and he spoke it. To bring condemnation on all. So they like well we should just be sinners then. If that showed God to be just. Paul told my no. And he goes to. Question again. Wait. 
So is the Jew really better? Because the Jewish people show the righteousness of God because they got the law and God's word is revealed through them. So are they really better? And this is his conclusion. No, they're not better. Why aren't they better? Because everybody is a sinner. Everybody is a sinner. And he quote from the Old Testament, a couple of places in Psalms. That one right there, the main point is verse is Psalms 14. Since everybody is a sinner, everybody is going out the way, everybody is evil, there's nobody that seek God, there's nobody that fear God. He go to this quote, and this is what the Psalms say. So the Jew and the Greek are on the same plane, even though they got the words of God. Like I say, take you back. So once you meet that brother with that little funny hat, and he tell you, man, you, you really the Israelite. So what? You can ask them, do Israelite sinners get saved while Gentile sinners don't? No. So there ain't no different then, bro. Like, are you a sinner? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you're an Israelite, but are you a sinner? Because that's the question that matters. Because God going to judge all of them. And that's what Paul is saying here. It don't matter, brother. Okay, you all the people of God. God chose people. God blessed you and all that good stuff. You a sinner? Because Israelite sinners get the same thing as Gentile sinners do. Matter of fact, Israelite sinners get it work because God gave them the word. These Gentile sinners can say, well, I ain't know. <laughs> Anybody will tell me I want to be coveted, man. What you talking about? What is a covet? <laughs> That's the point where we are. But he makes this strange statement. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law of God brings the knowledge of sin. Like, where did this come from? Like, why why Paul just got to talk about therefore? Like, how does that make sense? And he went through this long thing, quoting this long piece of scripture to tell you that everybody is a sinner. Then he's going to say, for that reason, shall no flesh be justified by the law. Now, bro, you ain't even saying nothing about no justification of the law. This is the point. The oracles of God, the writings of God, the sayings of God, now he's equating them and he's turning it to the law of God. And the fact that there's nobody that seek God, there's nobody that understand, there's nobody that goes in righteousness is not in anybody's heart. That shows you that there's nobody that's following this law. So since the people who got the law cannot do the law, therefore it shows you that the law does not bring justification. Only thing the law brings is the knowledge of sin. Are y'all tracking? The only thing that the law brings is the knowledge of sin. So does that mean that the law is useless? No. Because do you need to know sin? Yes. And let's broaden this out a little bit. Let's just say it's this dude who wrote a book. Can't think of the title of it now. It's very recent. But uh, he set out, I think it was a journalist, New York Times or something like that. But he set out on a journey. And his goal was to follow every command in the Bible. Any command in the Bible, he said, I'm going to follow all of them. And so he stopped 
buying clothes with mixed cloth and he started doing all this stuff. He, he set out to follow all of the laws in the Bible. And he just wrote a book about his journey and what he went through following all the laws. But he makes this statement after doing this for a while. The statement going to seem a little strange to Christians, but he said, following the laws of Jesus was harder than following the laws of Moses. That's what after trying it, he, he took the whole Bible, Old and New Testament, and said he's going to follow every command in there. And the conclusion that he reached was following the laws of Jesus was harder than following the laws of Moses. Yeah? <laughs> Could have saved him a year of his life, but he wouldn't have wrote no book and made money either. See, he should have listened to you. <laughs> but that was the conclusion that he reached. And think about that. What are the laws of Jesus? What he meant by that? Like, how does he read the Bible and get the conclusion that Jesus has some laws? It's because Jesus gave commands. Jesus told people to do things. Jesus said you're supposed to love those who hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Like, why he had to put that word on the end? Like, that's a command of Jesus. Moses had told you not to kill him. <laughs> That's all Moses told you. But Jesus told you to pray for the person that, why he had to put despitefully use you on that? Because when I take despitefully and I understand that, that means their whole intentions and purposely without a hate for me was to use me and take advantage of me. Like, that's the only thing they were doing. It wasn't no mistake. It, it wasn't no accident. It wasn't even them just trying to be manipulative. And that's just their personality. It's out of spite they tried to hurt me. Pray for that person. That's what Jesus tells them to do. Now, if we take this same thought that Paul has when it comes to the law and apply it to all the laws of the scripture, what conclusion should we reach? That by the law is the knowledge of sin, and therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So if we read the commands of Jesus, well, Jesus tells you to love your enemies and you see within yourself the inability to love your enemies. What has that just done for you? It brought the knowledge of sin. That's what it does. When Jesus gives a command or anytime you read a command, you must understand that this command was given to show you who you are. To reveal to you the separation between you and God. It cannot justify you. Because knowledge does not bring ability. The Jews then showed us that. They got prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet telling them the words of God. Direct revelation and understanding from God. God showed up himself and brought this people as a whole nation. Out of bondage into liberty. And the very first thing they did was to worship a cow. Because knowledge does not bring ability. The one famous preacher once said way back in the, in the early, I think the late 1800s, that if you take a man who spent his life stealing nails off the railroad track because he a thief and send him to college, when he come back, he going to steal the whole track. And the point that he was making is that just because you educate a person 
that doesn't change their heart. An educated thief is a better thief. Are you with me? This is, you paint your pictures, y'all can understand. Y'all a little more urban. Yeah, y'all urban. <laughs> In the neighborhood I grew up, I got this warning from my mama. She's like, don't give anybody change. Like, change for anything. Like, somebody come up to you, ask you, do you got change for a 20? Like, don't give them change. And the reason she gave me that warning, because in the neighborhood, a whole lot of counterfeit money was floating around. And like, it, it would be. So you had some uneducated jokers. Most of them didn't dropped out of high school. Some of them didn't make it to high school. But somehow they found a way to get some fake money and to get over on people, to come up. It's like, yeah, they're just some thugs, neighborhood project thugs. That's just what they do. Always stealing from people. But if you flip to neighborhoods a little bit better than mine, Go to, to, to Wall Street, Manhattan. Those are not just regular neighborhood thugs who dropped out of school. Like Bernie Madoff, he got educated. Leonardo in, 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 pro, in, in the projects, he didn't get too much education. But Madoff got a lot of education. And if the World be right. Madoff should be doing something a whole lot better than Nardo. And if you pay attention, Madoff did do better than Nardo. Because Nardo scammed and schemed and got him a couple hundred dollars. My mama used to call them double stack drug dealers. Out there on the corner all day. You can't do nothing. Go down the window and buy them a double stack. <laughs> that was my mama called. Now. <laughs> Nickel and diamond. But Madoff, this joker was able to rip off millions. Educated. Now what's the difference between Nardo and Madoff? They level of education. They got the same heart. The same heart that was in Nardo was in Madoff. Except Nardo nickel and diamond in the project. Just trying to get over. Just trying to make it. Getting enough to go down there and buy them a double stack. Put a couple rims on your car. <laughs> I'm saying he can put a little sound system in there. He's really doing good. That brother got that bass. Why well, Madoff got enough to buy the whole company that make the cars in the sound system. Because both of them are thieves. And educating a thief does not stop him from being a thief. You just put him in a better position to do thievery. Because knowledge does not bring ability. And so when we get to the law of God and understanding the law and the commands of God, we need to understand that law does not bring ability. So you can read all you want to and hear the words of Jesus and hear what he's saying when he's telling you what to do. That don't mean you're going to do it. Because it ain't there to make you do it. It's there to show you that you can't do it. 
Because you are all that stuff Paul said. Unrighteous. You ain't seeking after God. You liar. Do I need to keep going? <laughs> Since you all that, the law can't do nothing for you. Because your heart ain't right. So all it does is brings the knowledge of sin. So law produces knowledge of sin. And it works the same way for the words of Jesus. When you read it and you see you don't match up, understand, okay, this showed me I'm a sinner. But what does bring justification? Watch this. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Hold up, Paul. Paul and switched again. Because he said the law don't bring what? Justification. But now, he's saying the righteousness of God. Hold up, Paul. So he talking about justification or righteousness? Which one he talking about? They the same thing. <laughs> Y'all understand? You see that? The law can't justify you. But now, righteousness without the law. So the justification that you would seek by the law has come without the law. That means you can get it without following them rules and them commands. So there's a way to get righteousness without following rules and commands and that is being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all of them that believe for there is no difference. So the righteousness of God is to all and it's on all them that believe. But let's think about this for a second. This is what we're going to dive in at. So what Justin said about how much righteousness God got? He got all righteousness. So all righteousness is upon, hold on, what, what does it say? Verse 22. Say, even the righteousness which is God is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So how much, what, what kind of righteousness they got? All righteousness, complete righteousness. So complete righteousness is unto and upon all of those that believe. So if I believe, how much righteousness do I got? Y'all sure y'all believe that? If I believe, what kind of righteousness do I got? It's the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God is revealed by faith. So if the righteousness of God is in me, upon me, is to me, that gets a bit deep. That means this righteousness should affect not only my relationship with God, but my relationship to all people in the way that I live. And I get this relationship and this righteousness, all I have to do is what? Believe. That's it. So the justification that couldn't come through the law, people telling me, stop lying. Stop stealing. You need to do right. You need to do better. You need to get yourself together. That didn't help me. But Jesus got something that without all them people telling me what I need to do, I can be what I'm supposed to be and all I have to do is believe. So what if you see a Christian who's living unrighteously? The question becomes, do he believe? Because the righteousness of God is upon and to all of them that believe. And it is the same righteousness that I would have gotten if I could have followed the law. 
And it goes beyond just me saying that God look at me. Like I said, God, God don't lie to himself. Go ahead. Uh huh. Ah, very good question. Very good question. Could you believe in something but not practice? It is impossible to believe in something and not practice. And I'm going to demonstrate it to you in this way. Because to believe biblically means to trust. Let's say we was throwing a party. All right. Me and you planted it. You say, I got all the food. You just bring the drinks. All right? And I'm like, okay, I trust you. But then when we show up, I bring drinks and chicken. <laughs> and your question would be, I thought I told you I had the food. You did. What, you ain't believe me? Yeah, I trust you. Would you believe me? No. <laughs> Even though I'm telling you with my mouth, I trust you. But my actions show you that I really didn't, I had some doubts up in there. Because to believe means to trust, to rely upon. So the fact that I wasn't willing to give it all up, like I need some backup just in case, show you that I don't completely trust you. So that's what Paul digging at, is that there's a faith that produces righteousness. And this is where the rubber meets the road or, or, or where the conflict comes in at. Is that if we truly believe, that's all that we need. And the outcome of belief is righteousness. So I don't have to build up my faith by doing what is righteous. I don't have to demonstrate my faith by doing what is righteous. If I truly have my faith righteousness is upon me it's to me it flows through me and it is the very righteousness that God has you understand what I'm saying so if ever I see a conflict between me and righteousness what I see is a conflict between me and faith and this is what the part get hard that because there's many who would tell you this is how you confirm alright if you have doubts and struggle with yourself about whether or not you're a Christian and you got those down times and you believe, do I believe, do I really believe that God hear my prayer and all that other stuff. We all been through that. There's a couple different ways people will inform you to go by this and we're going we're gonna to expand this out. One way people tell you to do it is you inspect yourself. You do a self-examination. As you examine your heart to see whether or not you bear the fruits of being a Christian. And that sounds pretty much like what we say right here. A little bit. But that's the wrong way. Like I said, we're going to span it. We'll just throw these out as bullet points and we'll dig into them. Examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. That is an incomplete statement. That's what we were talking about earlier. What does the Bible tell us about our heart? It's deceitful. Yeah, same thing. It'll trick you. You you can't trust it. 
Don't put no trust in the arm of flesh. That includes your flesh. So if my full dependence is upon my ability to evaluate my fruit and to see whether or not it match up, there's a possibility that I can deceive myself. Because one thing I know about me, as long as I've been talking, I've been lying. That's just human beings. That's like part of language. They need to put it in like curriculums at school. I'm saying, when you study linguistics, lying is like foundational. You don't know how to talk unless you tell a lie. <laughs> you ain't told no lie, you ain't start talking yet, because that's what human beings do. So if it's all on me to examine myself, and I need to check this, all right, I match up with this, because this is what will happen. I look at it, then I get the twister, because I see lust in my heart. But then the first thing we do is what? Justify ourselves. That's why we get angry when we think other people are going to be angry at us. <laughs> because you, you get in defense mode. So if something coming at you and it's showing you something other than you, you got to explain that. And you have the ability to explain away a whole bunch of stuff that you know ain't right. Because your heart is deceitful. Or you can, if you're very sensitive, like some people are, it can produce in you depression. Like you get down. Like, I ain't, I'm a Christian. I've been trying to believe all these years. I ain't gonna help me say. <laughs> the Lord don't love me. <laughs> Raise your hand in your heart. How many of y'all ever thought about that? Like, I've been trying to be saved so long and I can't do it. The Lord don't love me. Don't raise your hand out loud. Just raise your hand in your heart. <laughs> like, hold up. Isn't that because that's what our heart produces? But then there's this other belief that caused your mind to go back. Like, you go back. Don't you remember? Don't you remember that you got saved? You remember when you were 12. And, and the preacher pulled you up front and he prophesied to you. And he told you, you're going to be a mighty woman of God. And you said you believed in Jesus. And, and then you got dunked. And, and that's what people call you to do. And they won't allow you to experience the hurt. Because immediately they begin to explain to you why you are what you know you're not. Because they go back to this moment of faith and belief. So can nothing discount your faith or your belief because that's the whole thing. And as long as you got that confession and you repeat it after that preacher, you are sealed to the day of redemption. He took your sins and cast them into the sea of forgetfulness. Past, present, and future. Don't let nobody judge you because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what you got. And that creates that hardness so that when you come around Folks like Jay, I'm going to use him because he's the mean one. You end up with these type of thoughts as you leave. Shoot, man. How you going to tell me I ain't no Christian? <laughs> 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 that, that, man, he, hell, I know what I'm saying. He can't tell me I ain't saying. I'd be like, Jay, man, what you saying to these folks? <laughs> I'm saying I'd have had them conversations. Folks that pull up out of the blue. 
man. I know that's your boy, man, but uh, see, 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 he's self-righteous. He think he's the only one that's a Christian. Like, man, what, what, what Jay said to you folks? I hold on me. You don't know how many times I've had this conversation. And man, he don't know what I'm saying. He's like, I can't fool with him. That brother think everybody going to hell. <laughs> because that's what you get because you've been hardened and the only proof you got that you saved was the proof that you believe that you saved. And that's the only thing you got to go on. But the biblical picture is is that we don't look in us and we don't look back to a moment but we continually look into God. And we try to understand what it is that God has done and that's what we put our faith in. Because faith detached from reality is foolishness. If I'm believing something and it's not what it's supposed to be, I'm a fool. Like how many of you ever tried something? They told you uh, your computer messed up or you had a program or something and they told you how to fix it. And you tried it and it didn't work. What you do? Be honest. You keep on doing. <laughs> you keep doing the same thing over and over again. And yeah, and you just be going on and on, then you pull out your phone or go to another computer and you Google it and they tell you the same thing that the mother folk told you on that other website. And so you try again. Then you get mad and you call customer service. And they begin at the same place that you started. And you be humble. And you know what? You don't tell them, I already did that. You go through them whole steps (laughs) all over again. And that's because you believe that these people know what they're talking about. You trust them. Now the part where it gets a little fishy is you have the ability to believe something apart from it being demonstrated that what they're saying is true. Because they told you if you match the e-button and do the key at the right thing, this screen going to come up and then you can do this. But you did all that and that screen never came up and you continually do it apart from the manifestation of what they promised you. So that shows you we have a heart that can be a little bit simple. That can allow us to be deluded into pursuing something without the manifestation of the thing we say we pursue. It's just like them church folk that been in church paying their tithes and going to every conference and still broke. But every new year they believe the breakthrough and the manifestation and the fruition of the things that they hope for and that they sold into is right around the corner. Because they pay and they pay and they pay and a man told you that if you turn around you know what I'm saying? And you make this confession that all your debt's going to be gone. The Lord turn around, right there, turn around, he turn around, he turn around. Then you go home and you still got debt. As a matter of fact, you might get the opposite sign. You go home and then you open up the mailbox and the folks from the student loan tell you that those things are out of deferment and you need to call us immediately to set up a payment plan. Like, hold up. <laughs> like, that, that ain't what the preacher man said. See, this is a sign. This is a test. From the devil to see whether or not I truly believe. Because I know my breakthrough and my manifestation is on the way. And so the devil trying to test me by making me begin these monthly installments. Because he know that I ain't got the money. And he, and he know I'm going to start doubting. That's a lie. 
that's a manifestation in a, um, the fruition of the fact that that preacher was lying. But since you have faith in the preacher, you continually go on believing in something that does not manifest what it claimed to be. So that shows you something about your heart that you can delude yourself into believing something that you have no reason to believe. Now Jesus tells us, the Bible teaches us that the outcome of our faith is righteousness. And the oracles of God is put out there so that everybody can be a liar and God can be true. So he then demonstrated these things to manifest himself as being the truth in the world. So if God is true and if we truly believe that we should be seeing righteousness in our life. But what is it that we do? We delude ourselves into thinking that we have something that we do not have. And it's, it's not just us. It's been nailed down through church history. There are people who had struggles. There are people who had problems. So they had to redefine the scriptures in order to accommodate their belief. Are y'all tracking with what I'm saying? And that's the thing that we cannot do. So that's why we're going to slow this thing down a little bit and, and just walk through some passages about justification to get our mind right. Because if I can believe a preacher who I believe to be alive sometime, because we say all men lie, and that's a man, so that means I believe that he lie. But the thing he tell me don't come to pass, but I continue believing. Is it possible that I can have a belief in myself and continue down that path that puts me in a position that hinders me from truly believing the gospel? Because the proof shows me something other than what I claim. So Jesus ain't, ain't like that preacher. If he say he can do something and you trust him, he can make it happen. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So we don't look to ourselves and, 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 and go through a checklist. Bible ain't never tell you to do that. That's fooling me because you're a liar. You're going to lie to yourself anyway. You know what I'm saying? You're you going to, man, I know what I'm saying. Jesus said, you look at one woman with lust after. I'm saying, I ain't do that. Because um, I wasn't lusting. I was liking. And I'm a man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I know my Instagram full with all these buck naked pictures and <laughs> half naked things, but that's it for my business. <laughs> so I'm saying I don't really pay no attention to that I stroll that's that what your heart gonna do all you gonna say I go back to the great moment of the cross did you believe did you confess did you give your sins over to God and if you did that you are saved let nobody tell you otherwise them two different preachers telling you two different lies what the Bible say is the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel and that is through the faith of Jesus Christ and then through that it is manifested. So what I do, I look to Jesus. I don't look to my faith or my confession or my baptism. I don't look to my fruits or my works or any of that. I look to Jesus. And if Jesus be who Jesus is, all those things going to be demonstrated to me. But I don't delude myself in thinking that I'm looking to Jesus and not seeing what he told me he's going to see because if I don't see it, I ain't looking to him. But I keep pressing. And the press is towards him that I might be found in him not having a righteous hold up. A righteousness which is my own but the righteousness which is by faith. So Paul in his push to press forward towards the mark is a press towards righteousness. How Paul going to tell you to press towards justification? All you got to do is believe. 
Hold up. We'll talk about that next week. Go ahead. And, and anybody got any questions? I have a question. Um, if a person happened to li live um, integrity and morality and uh, following all kind of things just because that's the right thing to do for some people, but they're not Christian. Mm -hmm. Okay. So could that make them righteous? And then also, are they like basically from what I'm observing today, my understanding is this. So basically, there are three kinds of Christianity, which is the righteous, the unrighteous, and the one in between. <laughs> okay. Is it safe to say? I, I, I get track with that. So there's the righteous, the unrighteous, and the one in between. And that's the one who do a little, what do you mean by in between? They do a little righteous, they do a little bit of unrighteousness, and they go back and forth. Yes, I, I can buy it with that, but only one of them is real. And that's the one whose heart is completely yielded to Christ, which is only going to produce righteousness. Well, that's the only real one. But when it comes to the person who, who live a pretty decent life, and they're and they very upright and they're very moral, they are unmoral. And I, I think about it a couple ways. How many of you had a mama, a grandmama, or something like that, that made this statement before. Like, you invite friends over your house. And they be in your house, but don't say hey to your mama. Yeah, you, you, you ever experienced that before? Like, they come in the house, and they sit down, and they get comfortable, but they don't say hey to your mama. And, and most of us, when you got the good parents, like she said, they either going to kick you out or they going to pull you back. Now, who do you fault you got that? That's so disrespectful. How in the world could parents take that as disrespectful? It's because as the head of the house, the elder of the house, they're supposed to be acknowledged. You can't come in my house even if you ain't did nothing wrong. They came down, they sat down and got quiet. It's disrespectful to the elder of the house if you come in their house and not reverence them as the head of the house. That's what your parents are trying to teach you when they say that. And what we have with people who live a moral, okay life is people who come into God's world, but not reverence him as being the God of this world. Because God is the God of good. God is the God of righteousness. He sets the standard. So anytime I look to anything but him as the standard, anytime I acknowledge anything but him as the greatest, I am being one of the most evil people there is because I am being living a life of idolatry, even though my life might look good in comparison to other people. You understanding what I'm saying? So morally okay people are not righteous people because the only true righteousness is to reverence God as the God of all creation, as the Lord of all the head, uh, Lord of all heaven and earth. And people who can't do that, they, they can't be considered as righteous. So if you your own standard and you disobeying God, so in the <clears throat> excuse me, in the book of Leviticus, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember the chapter. It's uh, there's like um, they go to like purification and they sacrifice and stuff like that, all that kind of thing that um they are doing. So it says it's they clean and they unclean. Mm -hmm. okay? So when they become clean, uh, which is God telling Moses, okay. So when they come and clean, are they being righteous then? Are they being righteous? When they come clean? When they become clean. Clean is a synonym. And that whole picture 
is a picture that parallels to what we would call sanctification now. So it's you being purified and made into a position where you can be dedicated to God. So they could not come into the presence of God as they were, but there was a change that had to take place before God allowed them to enter in. Same thing with the priest before he went in and ministered. He went through all these washings first, and then he entered into the place of God. So being justified in that picture, if you were to take it, is like being accepted into the temple. Like God accepts you, he accepts your worship, he accepts your praise, but he cannot accept you with filthiness. There's a purification that has to take place, and that's the picture that's being put it in there. But all of those things were symbols and types of what reality we live in. And that's something we're going to try to flesh out going forward when we truly understand what is the law. But there's, there's, there's more of a picture of sanctification. Not righteousness. But righteousness flows from that. Because you can't be right with God unless you're sanctified. If that makes sense to you. you know, we, 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 we'll parse that a little bit, like I said, in the next coming weeks. Any other questions? Okay, so some people think the earth is like a thousand years old, and some people think it's a million or billion years old. How are you supposed to know how old the earth is? All right, there's a couple of different ways to go about this. One is you weigh the evidence, because God has given us mind, he's given us reason, and we don't believe stuff just because we believe it. We need to know why we believe what we believe, and that's the things that we have to give an account for. Actually, that's what to give account means, to, to, to reconcile, I mean, to justify the action. So we have to weigh the evidence as to why we believe the earth is whatever millions, billions, or thousands of years old. And the way we, as Christians, when we wrestle with it, the Bible is the final authority on all things when it comes to life, because God is the one that made it. And so we reason everything according to what the scripture says and now when we look at the scriptures the bible tells us a couple of things that we cannot debate that adam and eve was the first human beings on the planet that death came as a result of sin and that god himself created the earth so those are the uncompromisable things god made the earth god made adam and eve the first human beings and death came as a result of sin so when we weigh the evidence and when we look at it, we need to filter everything through those things. Now, people that are going to tell you the earth is millions of billions of years old, one thing they, that they deposit is that this cycle of evolution went on for forever. And for evolution to go on, death has to be a part of it. Now, if we accept death as being a part of evolution and as a part of the growth of the creation of how we get here, that means we reject Genesis because, well, actually the whole Bible, because it says that death came as a punishment to sin. You understand what I'm saying? So if death is necessary for it to be millions of years old, it can't be millions of years old. If there has to be people before Adam, before it to be, so it to be millions of years old, that means the quote-unquote cavemen, Neanderthals, and all these other species that they put in between us and creation if that has to be true then the earth cannot be millions and millions of years old you understand what i'm saying and if we have to go to a thing that god did not make it 
then it can't be millions and millions of years old. But we believe it to be thousands of years old because that's all the record that we have when we look at history. Every time that they, even the world people who don't believe the Bible, when they find something that's supposed to be human remains, they can't date it beyond 10,000 years, 10, years ago. And I even think that's a stretch. But I give them that. And so all the evidence points to a young earth, but we have to assume certain things that go against the Bible to get to millions and millions of years. So there is no proof that the earth is billions of years old. That just helped make them make sense of what they believe about life. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's how we track history. But one fun thing you can do, the, the apostle did it one time ago, is try to track through the genealogies and use the ages to date. That's pretty hard to do, but you can do it. It's a fun exercise. But I guarantee you, you ain't going to get millions of years ago. Any other questions? All right, that's it. They're all yours.